Wow, that was beautiful. That was beautiful. Welcome to the Theo <laughs> Pop Culture Smackdown. Welcome, my friends. Yes. Welcome. Let's yes. let's get right into the artifact let's on this one. It. I've heard you've got a I've heard you got a pretty a pretty a pretty stunning stunning artifact. For I this do. Week. In fact, it's something. It's an article. I think I sent to you way back when the story first broke. You sent this to me, and yes. I was this this this. It provoked haunting. me. It haunted me. It provoked me to so many feelings. So much. It really caused me anguish. Actually, this yes. this, this artifact. This is the. This is one of the more striking. This is a real life story. Um, and it's the story of um, a a young um, a little girl who was um, uh, well. Okay. This the story is related to a hashtag called wake up olive hashtag wake up olive. hashtag wake up olive a, a little girl um died uh, tragically and her her mother um and her parents i think both but her mother wrote um she was a she's a worship leader at a church called bethel church in redding california a very popular church very popular church. Church. a lot of music f- famous of for their music, music. Yeah. yeah they're mm-hmm. a charismatic church and she wrote asking her fans, her followers, her church family, for uh, for them to pray for her resurrection, for God to raise her from the dead. For her young child to be raised from the dead. Yes. Um, and, of course, we know, students, you know that there are passages where this happens. Jesus raises, specifically, he raises a little girl from the dead mm-hmm. um, and so in the New Testament. And yep. so this church, this woman... Um, this family was asking for God to do the same thing today that wow. God had done yesterday. And I sent it to you in part because I know you teach this class about suffering right. in the Bible, right. but also because we're both parents. And I think that oh. this is bar none, the worst thing that any parent could ever oh, imagine. I've never made any kind of secret of the fact that my worst fear in life is that something would happen to one of my daughters. Yes, that know? that is the ultimate. In fact, I heard a, a mother once say, like, reflecting on the crucifixion of Jesus and how God the Father must have felt like there oh, is yeah. no pain greater mm-hmm. than experiencing. It, it exceeds even your own. And Jesus' mother was there at the foot of the cross mm-hmm. at the crucifixion. Yeah. This is narrated in scripture. And so, so uh, there's yeah. nothing. There is no, you can't be hurt yourself as much as you could be okay. watching your child. Now, in light of the book of Acts and our theme word for this week, spirit. We want to know. We want to know, do, do Christians have a right as Christians? Do they have a responsibility? Should they be expecting that God will do miracles today? Now, this example is really dramatic. It is, but there it's are really so dramatic. many other less dramatic yes. versions of this. So many other less dramatic, and we'll, we'll link, link the article on the website so you can take a look at it, and maybe you even know about this story. But I mean, you know, any number of things, heal, bodily healings, you know, even the kind of prayers that you might pray, like say it's like, you know, a day before tuition is due and you're like, God, I, I need a miracle to I attend college. I prayed that as a college student <laughs> right? for sure. And yeah, yeah get, you know, you need that kind of stuff. So it's like, how active should we expect God? To how act? Yeah. So I think the question is, how active is God in the world today? Like it could even be blown up, like not just does God do miracles, although I think that that's a question, but you could even be like, does God raise the dead? But does God like heal people? Should Christians pray for that? Um, I think Christians have actually had really widely differing stances toward yes. this issue. Some yeah. Christians are very much in this charismatic, Pentecostal, just different traditions, which definitely see that kind of feeling as something you could just pray for just all the time, every day. Mm-hmm. And then others think, you know what, that's not how God 
meant for the world to work right. and that's not how the life of faith ought to work right both positions like there's a long tradition a long yeah. christian tradition yep. um but very different ideas about yep. how active the spirit of god is in everyday life now friends we're going to do a surprise we have a treat for you today we a little do. surprise a little surprise we we're not going to debate this now like we usually do we are going to go back in time picture this in your mind students Picture Bauman Auditorium on campus and picture it filled with almost 600 people, mm-hmm. students just like you, and or if you're not a student, just picture the Bauman Auditorium filled Full with 600 people. students. Okay, and we have um, a debate. We have a stage. We have two debaters who are going to debate kind of in the style that we have been, like an opening statement and then an opening statement and mm-hmm. then kind of like a, a, a you know a discussion. And moderated moderated by someone. Hopefully, you'll know Dr. Sarita Edwards. Yes. And the debaters in this debate are real and they are Dr. Leah Payne and Dr. Brian Doak. <laughs> Dr. Payne is arguing for what I think we'll call in the debate a more maximal view of God's activity in the world today and I'm arguing for a more minimal view. We did it in the same kind of style that we do these. In other words, we did it for like pedagogical purposes, teaching purposes, but we're going to actually come back after you listen to it and we're going to quickly reveal our real views, which I think in, in the debate that we did that they're about to listen to. I don't think we did. We didn't quite yes. do it that way. We just kind of played out our roles all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we shared a lot in common in the debate, too. Sure. But we also tried to lay out these positions really starkly. So, students, you're going to hear um, you're going to hear a live debate in front of a live audience. Dr. Payne and myself. Enjoy. Enjoy. Gosh, yeah. I felt so um, inspired in, in some ways by the lecture on Monday. Dr. Me too. Dr. Edwards is such a great speaker, isn't She's she? She's amazing. Yeah, I We can all she did learn great. from just learning the cadence of good speaking and how to do it and so mm-hmm. on. And she brought up a really provocative topic, namely this idea of, not an idea, but like the, the member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. That's I was really right. taken by that. Yeah, I thought, I, I was really taken by it too, especially in just kind of a crazy week, crazy time. And... I know that today is the day that we're going to have a debate up here, and I, it's been really crazy. I'm not even sure, like, <laughs> who's going to no, show up We have for no one it. up there. Our schedule has fallen apart in some ways. Yes. We've done a pretty tight ship here, but it's not perfect, okay? Like, yes. don't expect perfection. But I think, though, okay, regardless, though, I think Dr. Edwards' lecture raised a really fascinating point, which somebody wrote up on the board. Yes. Not you or me, somebody. Yeah, definitely. Which is, the spirit. what are we, uh, and she talked about some pretty serious things that the Holy Spirit could do, giving people words of knowledge or working miraculous things in the world, not only from her own experience, but also scripture. The question is, what should we expect today exactly about that kind of involvement in the world? Like, are we supposed to yeah. expect that now, and to what degree? And I know that you all were thinking about that too, because you responded um, on your reaction papers, and mm-hmm. also you responded in your dinner invitations. I think probably the biggest response we got was uh, wanting to talk more about the role of yeah. the Spirit, and it's something that you and I were talking about yeah. a little bit, and sometimes when we have conversation, we like argue a little bit back and forth, and we thought maybe we should have, you know, a discussion well, what's your, wait, about what is the role of the Holy Spirit. What's your, I mean, what's, what's, what's your view? Do you think that the Holy Spirit today should be seen as maximally involved in people's lives with signs and wonders and things, or more minimally involved? Well, I, I come from the charismatic tradition so i'm kind of a go big or go home person i'm like let's go for it maximally what about you i think i have a more minimal stance it sounds kind of grinchy and toolish i think like <laughs> you know but actually i think it's it's the right mature view more minimally actually well should we like argue about it should we just do this are you saying yeah just i think like we should do there? a debate just off the cuff yeah. right now yeah but oh, wait. who okay but who's going to moderate the debate wow well the best person 
that best, I could think of for that yeah. would be Dr. Sarita Edwards. Welcome back out. Dr. Sarita Edwards, everybody. Dr. Sarita Edwards, come and moderate. She's coming. Here she comes. She She's comes. coming. <laughs> we give it over to her. <laughs> now, remember the guidelines for the debate? There are no winners and losers. Each person will be assuming a position that is traditionally Christian, but they may or may not hold to every aspect of it. And I forget what the last one is. Do you remember? No, I think that's it. I think that's it. I think that's it. I think the battle is on. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so as you remember, each person who's going to be debating is going to be talking for seven minutes. And so I believe Dr. Doak is going first. And so he's going to be talking about how active is the spirit in the world today? And he's taking the position that it's minimally, minimally involved. And then Dr. Payne, maximally. Uh, so let's invite Dr. Doak to come up. You have seven minutes. We all know this will come up when you have one more minute uh, left. <laughs> I know I'm going to get cut off. Have you started it? Oh, you started it already. How involved is God in the world? Should Christians have an expectation that we should be praying for and seeing the kind of miracles that we see in the Bible? Expecting the power of the Holy Spirit to show us miraculous signs in the world, heal the sick, maybe even raise the dead? My answer to this question is basically no, we shouldn't. Not usually. Is God involved in the world? Totally. Always. Do we need to calibrate our expectations of how that looks and be honest about our actual experience in the world? Yes, yes, I think we do. This will lead to the conclusion, which I'm promoting here today, that we should have more minimal expectations about the Holy Spirit's miraculous activity in the world today. And by the way, this is not a bad thing. This is not a loss. I'm not, a, I'm not the cynic or the unbeliever here. Rather, this view is a basic, solid, thoughtful, mature, and Christian perspective of our predicament as humans in a situation that Christians like to call the already, but the not yet. Have you ever heard that phrase before in your life used in terms of Christianity? Maybe not, so it's a new phrase. The already, but the not yet. We speak of our faith in this way sometimes. Let me be clear. All Christians believe in prayer and that God is active in the world. And I want to clarify that the argument I'm making here today is not what some people would call deism. Deism would be the, classically the idea that God just created the, work, the world like a watch and just like totally left and just watches it kind of tick along and has no involvement. That's not my argument. I'm not a deist. No one's a deist here, okay? Rather, what I want to suggest is something that's more nuanced in a matter of degree. So three areas of discussion here. Area number one, I want to talk about gullibility and faith. Number two, I want to talk about science, and I want to talk about tempting God. And number three, I want to talk about prayer, okay? So, topic one. Those who take a more maximalist view of God's miraculous activity in the world today have no shortage of anecdotes and stories of God doing miraculous things. I've heard many of these stories, and I've sometimes been really inspired by them. And as a Christian who believes God is active in the world today, I do not blanket discount any of them at all. However, I think we have a responsibility not to be gullible. Faith for Christians is different from gullibility or just believing things because it seems inspiring or because someone that you like or trust said it. That's a simple point that probably everyone would agree with, but I want to establish that at least. False reports of miracles, exaggerated stories, and dubious second-hand accounts hurt faith. False accounts of things that did not happen hurt faith. 
I'm concerned that my worthy, in fact, actually indeed superior debate partner on this topic is going to attempt to minimize just what a problem these fake or ambiguously interpreted miracle stories are for honest faith for a lot of people. I'm contending that they're a big problem. The claim that God routinely works miraculously in the world today, just like in the Bible, is a claim that is also deeply problematic in light of our basic everyday experience. Let me take up an extreme example. There are others, but sometimes extremes help get us into the mood. Uh, A problem for us to think about. The miracle of raising the dead. That's not only something that Jesus does in the Gospels, but it's also something that Jesus' disciples, like Peter and Paul, do. There's a reference to it also in Hebrews chapter 11. So it's not just an Old Testament thing or not just just a a Jesus thing, also something that occurs in narratives after Jesus, which could raise the question, like, is, is that something you should expect to see in your life? I guess I just ask you openly, and, you know, there's a, there's a rejoinder to this, but I'll let my debate partner make it and then offer a rejoinder to the rejoinder, namely, do you see that happening? Do you see people raised from the dead in the world? Would you, and I ask you too, and this is uncomfortable, I realize, especially if you've lost someone recently, um, but I just, I, I want to ask, would you be comfortable pray, praying for someone to be raised for the dead at a funeral? Like an actual corpse, like there in that moment. I've actually been at a funeral where that happened. I thought it was psychologically damaging and spiritually not a good practice. I could say more about that later, but I'm going to just leave that one right there. Um, This example of rising from the dead is like an extreme version of a miracle, but I want to ask you this. How can you logically separate those kind of miracles from other more, let's say, low-key kind of miracles also? I'm not sure what the the qualifications would be to separate those kinds of, of things. So should this be normative in your experience? So that's my, okay, that's point number one. Uh, Point number two, I want to talk about science. Some people might want to suggest that God is minimally involved in the world today because we have science. We have technology, we have reason, we have learning. In a sense that we used to need God in the past for wild, miraculous things, but we actually don't anymore. I don't believe this. I believe that we need awe and wonder and a sense of the otherworldly. And it's not just like we need it, like psychologically, but that it's really real and it's all around us. But... We have to have eyes to see the many ways God works in the world, and those ways aren't always big explosive fireworks. Do we have new technical responsibilities that first century AD Christians did not have to act based on the power we've acquired? Yes, I think we do. I don't want my heart surgeon praying in tongues. I need her to cut me open and operate on me with her med school knowledge. Remember that Christian reform movements and principles paved the way for modern science and discovery, and this is no less of a miracle in the sense of awe and wonder and power than laying hands on someone and praying for heart valves to be healed. It doesn't look so spectacular, maybe. It may lack a certain kind of awe and wonder, but actually it has an awe and wonder of another kind. I accept this as God's gift. Sometimes I hear invoked this idea, well, God is not doing miracles in America or the West anymore because we're too proud or we don't have faith. But in XYZ place, different cultures have different uh, ways of talking about experience. And I deeply respect, even if I don't practice, other cultural ways of talking about miracles and seeing the world as alive with God. That's awesome. But it is also the case that just because people claim XYZ thing is happening in XYZ place, that doesn't mean it's true. One minute. Luke chapter 4 has an amazing story where Jesus is tempted by Satan to actually do miracles. Like, throw yourself off the temple, turn stones into bread, and Jesus says something really profound. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Do not tempt God. So in the end, this topic calls me to examine my prayer life. Is my prayer life essentially casting the Holy Spirit in the role of a genie or a vending machine? 
For whose glory are we actually working when we seek constant signs and wonders? We may say it's God's, but I wonder. We have to be very careful that our life of prayer and faith doesn't drift into superstition or, or magical belief that I can manipulate God in the universe. And I'm going to end right there. Beautiful. Thank okay, you so thank you. much. Dr. Doke. Thank you, Dr. Doke. Yeah. So if we are to take the words and person of Jesus Christ seriously, I submit to you that we ought to embrace a maximal role for the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, if you grew up in churches that call themselves charismatic or Pentecostal, you are probably already familiar with the fact that the Apostle Paul, an early architect of the church and one of its greatest missionaries in 1 Corinthians 14.1, and I'm going to use a lot of Bible here. I think the Bible is on my side for this one. Um, instructs believers to pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 lists several different wonder-working powers as gifts from the Spirit of God, and those include to those, or to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the, spirit, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to, the, to another prophecy, to another discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually as the Spirit chooses. Now, history is full of believers following the words of Paul, and I could regale us all with story after story of believers empowered to do great works by ecstatic, mystical experiences and by wonder-working, empowered by the Spirit of God. Perpetua and Felicity, Augustine of Hippo, Julian of Norwich, Francis of Assisi, Martin Luther even, John Wesley, William Seymour, my gal Amy Semple McPherson, and many, many more. Believers in the 21st century ought to embrace and pursue that wonder-working power of the Holy Spirit in their daily lives, not just because Paul tells them to do this, although that's actually a pretty good reason, and not just because, as Dr. Edwards taught us on Monday, the Spirit has been present in the, and a present person of the Godhead with us and active throughout time, but because this is the way to live out instruction from Jesus himself, as explained in the Great Commission. So the last words of Jesus in Matthew 28 are, All authority in heaven, on earth, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Dr. Edwards outlined what happens next so beautifully in her lecture, so I'm not going to go into it here. But she talks about the power coming from on high. So do we see Jesus of Nazareth with us in the same manner that he was with his disciples in Matthew 28? No, we do not. Does that make Jesus and his promise a lie? By no means. The Spirit and the Spirit's power to energize the church is the fulfillment of what Jesus promised to us. So if he is with us in this way, we ought to embrace the person of the Spirit in this way. Now, of course we have to acknowledge that it's God's work, and only God can do this work. We can ask and invite the Spirit. It's the Spirit's work to do, of course. We're not in control. This is not a genie, right? But praying, uh, we also have to acknowledge that this might seem very weird to others. Praying for words of knowledge, praying for gift of, gifts of healing, praying for the gifts of tongues, that is praying against the laws of nature. I'll admit that. But isn't defying nature at the heart of the Christian life? 
The natural order of things would mean that a young shepherd boy would be dominated in battle by a seasoned warrior giant. But you know from your own work, Dr. Doak, that the anointing of God meant that David was triumphant over Goliath. The natural order of things is that sin and death rule the earth, and when we die, we descend to the dead. But through the power of the resurrection, Jesus topples the natural order and raises believers to life. The natural order of things is for predators to attack their prey. But we believe that Jesus will usher in a coming kingdom wherein the lion lays down with the lamb. We believe in a supernatural God who accomplishes wonders, and God invites us to participate in that supernatural work through the person of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to look around us very long to realize that we need the work of the Spirit. According to the scriptures, the person of the Spirit is known to bring comfort in Acts, conviction in Acts, unity in Ephesians, peace in Galatians, as well as love, joy, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do we have a church fully characterized by these fruits of the Spirit? No? Then we should embrace the Spirit more fully. Do we have a world evangelized and confessing the gospel of Jesus? No? Then we embrace the Spirit. So the question for us is, why don't we embrace the Spirit? We need to ask ourselves, why do we hedge our bets when it's really the Spirit of God's reputation on the line, not ours? What is it about our wealthy, technologically advanced, hyper-rationalistic, human-centered Western culture that makes us think that the promise of Jesus to be with us always is null and void? Or what makes us think that we don't desperately need the Spirit of God. Finally, the work of the Spirit is to energize and empower the church. Is the church growing by leaps and bounds here in the USA? No. Best case scenario estimates say that it's flatlining. Worst case scenario estimates say that Christian conversions are declining precipitously. In fact, deconversion is becoming more and more con uh, common. So if we look at the energized corners of the globe, and I'm not necessarily talking about different standards of what is a miracle or what is not a miracle, we have to see that it's those places where believers who embrace the bold reliance of the wonder-working power of the Spirit, that's where we see rapid growth in the church. So, we American believers need to embrace a little bit of humility. I want to give a shout out to my, my uh, fellow professor from a different continent, right? We need to embrace humility and look to our brothers and sisters abroad. We need to look to their example and be willing to learn from them, as well as the generations who've come before us. We need to be able to say, and I'll just quote the song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Payne. Thank you. And so I'm just going to have you oh, remain yeah. standing and invite <laughs> Dr. Doak to come up. Um, and you have five minutes to respond to one another. I think it was so great that you quoted that passage in Galatians about the fruits of the Spirit. Yes. That was beautiful. Oh, here you go. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generousness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yes. None of those things involve miraculous fireworks displays, but the very hard work of taking up the cross in your life, what Jesus has commanded us to do, I, I could make a lifetime out of that, don't you think? Like, that's the work of the Spirit, but that's very different from, I think, some of the other things that, it, like... Do you acknowledge that there's a distinction between those kind of works in the Spirit and, like, other kinds of things? Absolutely. I think the fruits of the Spirit are essential if we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and if we're going to celebrate and get excited about the gifts of the Spirit. Because if there's one thing, so I grew up in the charismatic church. My dad was a pastor. He used to have people come to him all the time with 
with very zany things that were, I think, as you mentioned, potentially damaging to the belief of others. Um, and so I think that the fruits of the Spirit are an excellent testing ground to see. Mm. Is someone exhibiting those fruits? Mm. Doesn't matter what kind of wonder working they're doing because those fruits are the evidence of the presence of the Spirit in somebody's life. Because in the Bible, there's lots of different like kind of wonders that people do that um, are not of the Spirit of God. Totally. So, yeah. Do you, think the, do you think that in light of basic experience of what we see in the world, and I realize that there's a counter argument here, which is like the argument from silence. Well, yes. just because something isn't happening or you're not experiencing it doesn't mean it's real, you know? It's like I'm like, you know, the frustrated male college student, like, I can't find a girlfriend. There are no girls in the world. It's like, well, there were some problems, you know, with that. Maybe it was me, <laughs> not the world. Okay, I get that. I get that. Having said that, though, don't you think there's something to the just basic human reality acknowledgement that, like, we do seem to be living in a time of a certain kind of silence from God. I don't see the, you know, big seas being split. I don't see mountains being tossed into the sea. Jesus used that image of, of faithful prayer. Like we have a lot of cell phones. And as, as you pointed out, an unbelieving world is watching. Where is it? Oh, yeah. Well, okay, so you're saying that in order for us to embrace a fully maximal, maximal yeah. view of the Spirit, we need to have documented evidence or just like see, or just seeing work. it happening all over the place like if i said like who has seen someone raised from the dead like a third of you should raise have raised your hand right oh yeah so okay i'll i'll maybe I someone admit. did raise their hand and i missed it okay if i missed it come talk to me afterward okay but yeah me too yeah i want to <laughs> come talk to all of us yeah, about yeah, that. yeah yeah um okay so i think that if if we so first off i, I want to address one of one of the points that you said about like are there believers elsewhere who've who've witnessed things that, I mean, okay, there are a couple of different responses. One is, yeah. I actually think it's not enough to say, oh, they have different standards for telling the truth in other parts of the globe. So I think we need to not necessarily patronize people in other parts of the world that way. We need to say, like, we accept your, the testimony that you're giving us, and we need to ask ourselves, like, what is it that is preventing us from embracing that? Right. Um, and also, I don't mean to, I don't want to patronize people in other parts of the world. Yeah. I, do, I do want to say, I think it's just obvious, though, that people have different standards for what they will call a miracle and what they will not call a miracle. Like, that just seems I, obvious. Okay, I think, I think, though, that we should not submit our standards for what we think is miraculous to, like, what we know from empirical knowledge. So it is truly miraculous. I mean, my son has had brain surgery, and I would be totally cool with the, the doctor speaking in tongues and also performing great surgery and right? also right yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean I certainly want yeah. that to happen but but any like I don't want to um, downplay the work of the spirit by saying that um, it needs to be submitted to like mm. my pretty limited understanding of empirical knowledge because we know that actually scientific knowledge changes from from era to era yeah We're okay looking down and see okay what so about I want no 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 oh. it's my turn to ask you <laughs> I, was, I was getting away with it there yeah, yeah. Okay, so this argument um, that it's, it's not what you experience or what you, like the people that you know, like yeah. what role does other people's testimony or even like the testimony throughout history play for you? Like, so yeah. for example, did Martin Luther not have an ecstatic experience? Did, you know, did Augustine? What, what's your response to that? Yeah, I mean, my response is twofold. Like, of, of course I would accept testimony. I, what I mean is, uh, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of testimonies out there, a lot of mm -hmm. anecdotes and a lot of stories. I don't think all of those pass like just basic tests of like, did that, of just like experience and truth value. 
I think there's a way of talking about things that um, just, you know, pe people can say anything that they want. I think it's fair not just to say, I mean, if you want to get into a thing where you just start saying, hey, if anybody claims a miracle happened to them, we just have to believe it. I've got some problems for you. I've got a flow chart. I've got, some, I've got a ton of problems because people in other religions claim to have all kinds of miracles happening all the time. Are you going to claim that that's demonic every time or that they're just lying liars? But when it happens to you, it just happens, or in your faith tradition, then it's like totally happened. So in other words, I assume that there's like a lot of stories and things going on. I just don't assume, I don't want to be gullible as a person of faith, and I think that wrong reports are actually hurtful. And like people claiming to find Noah's Ark on Mount Ararat, but it's like a fake. That's well, happened numerous times. Like that, I think that hurts faith. Yeah, I, I think that's why we need a really well-developed theology of the Spirit, which, incidentally, many Christian traditions have. Because yeah. to reduce the idea that you're embracing the, the power of the Spirit to your being gullible is a yeah. mischaracterization of the openness that many traditions have to the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's fair. I'm going to pause our conversation here and invite our uh, lecturers just to, or debaters, just to have <laughs> a rest for a second. Um, if you have a question... <laughs> So we're not going to go to questions yet, but if you have a question related to this topic, this is the time to like grab a piece of paper, start writing it out. Um, I've been, as we've listened, this is not just a question that is just in our heads. Here you are, it's Wednesday, we're all here, faculty are here as well. This is a question that's really close to our hearts as believers. How active is the Spirit, the Spirit of God in our world? Can we expect that when we pray, God will answer? Should we not bother to pray for people who are sick? Like how the questions, I think Dr. Doak and Dr. Payne raised a lot of questions. Um, Dr. Doak brought up the very true fact that there are a lot of false claims. That's fact, that's real. There, there are a lot of false claims about miracles. Um, and so what do you do with that? Does that mean that there are no miracles? And then um, Dr. Payne talked about our need to like seek God mm. and seek the Spirit and listening to the global church and looking through history and listening to the voices of thousands of years of followers of Christ and followers of Yahweh and their testimonies. And so for me, both of our debaters brought up really important questions that as they were talking I wasn't just in my head I was in my heart and I'm like yeah what do you do what do you do then what do you do then what about that what about that and, and so these are real things after you leave this this session you're going to go out to class some of you poor things are going to take an exam hopefully anyone exam oh, oh see God no is real God That's is right. with us Maximal Holy Spirit. Maxima. Yeah. She said, see, God is real. I wasn't arguing God's not real. <laughs> I know. Okay. I'm Australian. We say random okay. things. <laughs> um, but how, how much can we expect that, that God will be involved in our lives, the Spirit of God? And we're back. Yay. Was that fun? Did you enjoy listening that to that? That was I, super fun. Revisiting that moment, I remember all the feelings. Like doing yes. it live in front of like that many people was. It feels kind of high stakes. Oh, it feels high stakes. And, and it was too. And also like, so students, just so you know, we had had other professors um, not be quite as, um, not, not adversarial is not the right word. Not but as we, committed They to didn't want to like draw a big distinction between no. the other two views. So we went for we it. We went for it. Yeah. We definitely went for <laughs> it. We drew the two <laughs> distinctions. Um, Briefly, can we reveal sure. our, our actual views? Dr. Payne. 
what is your actual view on this issue? Well, you know, I'm okay with a maximal approach. I mean, I think there's always a danger that we can cheapen the work of the spirit in the world by sort of, you know, having this kind of throwaway prayer existence where you're like, God, can I have that parking lot, parking space? Right. God, can I have that? You know, so I think there is a risk. But, you know, I'm a I'm a relentless optimist. So I'm like, why not? Why not pray and be okay if it doesn't work out? But why not expect a maximal um, indwelling of the spirit in our lives? What about you? You are a relentless optimist. I am. You know, you know, I totally true. I just don't give up. Yeah. The view I argued in the debate is close to my own view. I don't think my own view is quite so dour. I mean, I'm definitely as a Christian, as I said, like, I think we all Christians have to be open that God is active in the world today. So the question is not like, oh, this guy's like an atheist pretending he's a Christian. He doesn't think God's active in the world today. I explicitly declare publicly on a podcast. I believe God (laughs) is active in the world today. I, I do think that the considerations I brought up, though, like especially the point about how faking this kind of stuff hurts faith it reminds me way back of the noah's ark podcast about oh, how I, brought up right. there. Yes. I guess i have a sensitivity toward this kind of stuff when i feel like christians are trying to like you know go into this fantasy land it really hurt it, to me to me and to for people like me it hurts faith doesn't help it and i i think that this point about not tempting god and just like using the tools god has given us i do believe those points actually well actually so i in the spirit of our semester long you know back and forth yeah. on our, our pop culture snackdowns. Mm-hmm. I think that there's something that you bring up that's really important, which is that people with a maximalist view, mm-hmm. it is, I think that a Christian responsibility to always be thinking about your witness. So like, oh, yeah. how are you portraying the person of God? And right. so I will say, I will concede mm-hmm. that people that, that sometimes people with a maximalist view have been perhaps unintentionally, but mm. still been responsible for, well, I'll use an old timey word, besmirching <laughs> the, the person of Jesus, you right. know, making right. and it might be making God look like a fraud. It might be ma- right. making God look ridiculous right. or it might mean making, um, you know, God look frivolous. So, that's, you know, I think that that's yeah. something to consider. I don't think it's worth giving up the possibility of God doing right. something extraordinary. I will. It's because you made that concession. I want to make one, too. I will concede that it's possible that. More than possible that I've had experiences in churches in my own life of faith that hurt me around this issue, Mm. that I just felt like things were maybe faked or I found myself in very awkward positions. And maybe unfairly that indicated to me that these things, we were to seek different answers spiritually from what maybe God does have for us by way of miracles and things. Mm. You know, students, we we do read and listen and watch your responses. Um, And one of the things, every now and then students will say, they don't disagree enough or, or, or they'll say they disagree too much. And Uh, what we, what I think, um, I hope that we are modeling for you is that there's room to have, um, serious distinction and disagreement mm -hmm. and also appreciation for the other, how the other is encountering God and the spirit of God in the world. Do you, do you agree with that? Dr. Doak? 100% agreed. 